Hello, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures. I'm Corey. And I'm Courtney. And this is Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, a true crime show that digs into the dark depths of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes left behind, all while sipping on a sinister cocktail masterminded by Corey for each episode. We want to first start out by saying that our sinister cocktails featured for each episode is just to help us lighten the mood a bit on the dark and horrific crimes we cover. And in no way, shape, or form are we trying to make light of the horrific crimes. Please know our hearts go out to the victims, their families, and friends, and law enforcement affected by each of the cases we cover. Okay, Corey, what sinister cocktail have you masterminded for our Thanksgiving Day bonus episode? I'm calling this one a final bite. One ounce of caramel vodka, half an ounce of butterscotch liqueur, and two ounces of apple cider. Combine all the ingredients into a shaker filled with ice and give it a good shake. Double strain it into a glass with a large rock of ice or crushed ice, whatever you prefer. Rim it with some caramel, cinnamon, and sugar and enjoy. And it's so good. Oh, it's tasty. I really, really like it. Good job. It's very folly. Very Thanksgiving. I mean, it really does taste like a caramel apple pie. Yeah, and you could totally like make this into a martini if you didn't want to add the ice. I like the ice because it tastes good, really crisp and cold, but if you want to make it in a martini, go for it. So, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for these sinister death row inmates' last meals. Believe us, you're gonna need it. According to U.S. News and World Report, those delivered with the dreaded verdict of capital punishment are often afforded the right to a final meal of their choosing, and as long as the demands aren't unreasonable, they are generally granted their edible wish. Even the most sinister of killers are not denied this luxury. For our Thanksgiving Day bonus this year, we thought it would be fun to give you a tasty little treat of some of the final meals of the death row cases we have covered, as well as a couple of infamous killers. Dun, 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 dun. This is a really fun one. When I was looking over some of your notes and this and stuff and doing some research, it's fascinating. I don't know why, but it's fascinating about the last meal, the last request of death row inmates. It is. Like, if you were going to have one last meal, just think about it. Like, what would it be? For me, I'm so torn. I feel like I would break the bank. I already know what mine would be. It'd be spaghetti all the way. Oh, spaghetti. Really? Yep. Oh, see, I would have to do tacos for sure. Brisket somewhere in there. Brisket taco might work out too for me. But I'm a big girl, you know. I like to eat, so it would be hard. It would be spaghetti and garlic bread. Oh, I could live on that for the rest of my life. <laughs> if you remember from our episode 66, A Vampire's Deadly Bite, Frederick Harmon, known as Fritz, was a notorious serial killer in Hanover, Germany, in the early 1920s. Working as a police informant, Fritz was able to carry out a killing spree right under the noses of the police, committing sexual assault, mutilation, dismemberment, and murder of at least 24 young male vagrants between 1918 and 1924. He would kill these young males by biting through their throats in a kind of sexual frenzy. These horrific acts earned Fritz the nicknames the Vampire of Hanover and the Butcher of Hanover. Fritz was convicted of 24 of the 27 murder charges he faced and sentenced to be decapitated by guillotine on April 15, 1925, a notion which he seemed to relish. After being sentenced to death, Fritz reportedly stated, I want to pass just one more merry night in my cell with coffee, cheese, and cigars, after which I will curse my father and go to my execution as if it were my wedding. (laughs) Wow, what a request. Yeah. Fritz made sure he left this earth with the memory of one last indulgence. Instead of choosing a traditional German mill, Fritz enjoyed a fine cigar and a piping hot cup of Brazilian coffee. (laughs) That's the way you're going to go. I guess that's the way to go. I mean, I just imagine him like in a Hugh Hefner smoking jacket. (laughs) 
in his shitty ass, you know, death row cell yep. sitting there going, mm, I'm just going to enjoy this cup of coffee and smoke this last cigar. Although, you know, it probably helped a little bit too with what he faced coming at him. The cigar probably helped relax him, but I would have thought that caffeine and a, a Brazilian cup of coffee would have made him a little bit more anxious. A little jittery there. In episode 48, The Deadly Photoshoot Killer, we looked at one of the most notorious American serial killers of the 20th century, Harvey Glattman, an auto-affixiated, obsessed strangler who at a young age displayed antisocial behaviors and sadomastic sexual tendencies. His killing spree started in the 1950s after a move to Los Angeles, California, where he posed as a professional photographer, luring three girls into his apartment with the promise of quick and easy money. Once in his apartment, Glattman would tie up his unsuspecting victims, photograph them, and sexually assault them before eventually killing them by strangulation. He would then dump their bodies in the desert. He was a piece of work, wasn't he? Well, yeah, we covered him pretty extensively on that episode, but he definitely came to a good end. I hope they gave him saltine crackers and milk. (laughs) No such luck. No such luck. After his arrest, Glattman willingly confessed to murdering the three women and led the police to a toolbox containing hundreds of photos he had taken of his victims. He was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and executed in the gas chamber of San Quentin State Prison on September 18, 1959. Glattman's last words were, I knew this is the way it would be. <laughs> nice, dude. Really, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, the peak of his psyche, right? There's no remorse there. There's no nothing. He's just like, let's do it. Now, as far as his last dinner, Glattman had a shrimp cocktail, rare T-bone steak, french fries, a banana split, and a soda. On the morning of his execution, he ate eggs, bacon, toast with jam, and had orange juice as well as a hot cup of coffee. A few hours after polishing off this huge breakfast, he was executed. Wow, that's not going to be fun for the autopsy. Well, I felt like At least he you didn't get to digest it very much. <laughs> In episode 23, A Killer for Hire, we looked at Robert Allen Freda, a former police officer from Missouri City, Texas, who in 1994 hired two men to kill his estranged wife, 33-year-old Farrah Frada. Farrah, the mother of their three children, was shot twice in the head in her driveway while she was entering her garage by an unidentified man. The authorities would use phone records and witness testimony to uncover a sinister murder for hire plot that ended with her murder. Robert was found guilty of murdering his wife and was sentenced to death by lethal injection. However, he maintained his innocence until the time of his execution. On January 10, 2023, at the age of 65, Robert Freda was executed. According to the Associated Press, when asked by state prison officials if he had any last words, the former suburban Houston area police officer replied, no. You sick fuck. Yeah, he just wanted to go again. He just didn't care anymore. Now, because Robert was executed in Texas after 2011, he was not able to request a special last meal. Texas had banned special meal requests for death row inmates in 2011 after a stunt was pulled by death row prisoner Lawrence Russell Brewer. So instead, Robert Fredo had whatever was served that night for dinner like the other prisoners. Fucking serves him right. I hope it was some shitty fucking mushy bullshit. Yeah, I very much like that Texas took away this ability to request a last meal because that shit that Brewer pulled was some crap. Yep. Now, don't worry if you're wondering about the little stunt that Lawrence Brewer pulled because we're about to discuss him. We're getting there. Lawrence Russell Brewer was a white supremacist who, along with two other white men, killed African-American James Byrd Jr. on June 7, 1998. Driving in Brewer's pickup truck, the three men dragged Byrd's body along an asphalt road for three miles until his head and right arm were severed upon hitting a culvert drain. 
the two other men involved would receive lengthy prison sentences, but because Brewer had no regrets about murdering James Byrd Jr. in such a brutal way, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection and was executed on September 21, 2011. Now, as far as Brewer's last meal, he requested an elaborate one, which consisted of two chicken fried steaks, a triple meat bacon cheeseburger, a large bowl of fried okra, pound of barbecue, three fajitas, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, and jalapenos, a meat lover's pizza, three root beers, and for dessert, a pint of bluebell ice cream, as well as a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. After his elaborate request was granted, Brewer then refused to eat any of it. So here's my thing about Brewer, okay? I don't necessarily think that it's that elaborate of a meal. You know what I mean? He just wanted kind of one last bite of everything. But for me, for him not to eat it, that's where like I draw the line. I'd have been like, well, bitch, you're eating this goddamn shit. <laughs> if I had to go around picking it all up, getting it off for you, making it off for you, you're going to shovel this down your throat. Fucking agree. It's going in one way or the other. <laughs> thus causing the state of Texas to ban last meal requests for death row inmates. I bet everybody was pissed at him. Oh man, you know it, dude. You know it. In episodes three and four of The Hooker from Hell, we looked at one of America's most notorious female serial killers, Eileen Warnos, who shot and killed seven men at point-blank range between 1989 and 1990 while engaging in prostitution along the highways in Florida. Now, Eileen, who had continually been betrayed by those closest to her, claimed that she had acted out of self-defense and that each of her victims had either raped her or tried to rape her. Eileen was tried and convicted for six of the seven murders. Now, I just want to say this is one of my most favorite people that we have ever done. I have to agree. I was about to say the same thing, Court. I think Eileen Warnos was really just a interesting person to look at all the way around the crimes that she committed and why and the background. She really was an interesting person. That's probably why her movie made about her was so successful. Too. Yes, I agree with that. But also, I just I feel for her because I truly believe she did not deserve the death penalty. There are a lot more people that have done a lot more heinous crimes that have gotten life in prison. I think that she got an unfair trial and there was a lot of bias because of the books that had come out and the movie that eventually got Academy Award too. I think there was just a lot of bias on her. Yeah, I have to agree with that completely. And I also think, like I said, back when we were actually doing the episode and talking about this case, Eileen very much, she scared men back then because this was really the first time where men were being killed by a woman, hunted by a woman. And that was a very scary thing for men. So I think that's why a lot of what happened to her and why she was executed. Well, she shook men's egos. She did. Absolutely. It was scary. Which is so fucking right on about her, too. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, like I said, for the first time in history, men were being hunted instead of the other way around. And that was a very scary time. In her last interview with documentary maker Nicholas Broomfield that was filmed just several days before her execution, Eileen stated, You sabotaged my ass, society and the cops and the system. A rape woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Yeah, this right here, she didn't maintain her. Like, she killed him, and she didn't have a problem saying that. But it was the reasons why she killed him. And I think that's what got lost in all the minutia of the court and the hearing and the trial and everything. I think that got lost because it was more interesting that men were being victims and there was a female predator out there killing them. Fucking agree. When asked if she would like to make a final statement, Eileen replied, Yes, I would just like to say I'm selling with The Rock and I'll be back. Like Independence Day with Jesus. <laughs> Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. I feel like I should have read that like the Terminator. <laughs> I think you should have too. That was great. I'll reread that. Okay. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> that is so Eileen Warnos, though. You gotta admit, though. I mean, she was just that ultimate badass. You know, I'm not scared of anything. I, I can see why that would be her last words. Me too. Very true to her character. 
On October 9, 2002, at 9.45 p.m., Eileen Warnos was executed by lethal injection. As far as her last meal, Eileen refused one in favor of a simple cup of coffee. I just feel like that's so fucking her to a T. Oh, yeah. Like, fuck that shit. I'm going out with some coffee. That's it. Yep. I'm going to be wide awake when this happens to me. No, it was black coffee, too. Oh, yeah. Just straight up black. I might have asked for, like, a little whiskey or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I just have a little splash of some whiskey. During the 1970s, American serial killer and sex offender John Wayne Gacy raped, tortured, and murdered at least 33 boys and young men in Norwood Park Township located near Chicago, Illinois. The media would dub him as the killer clown because of his sociability and performances as a clown for charitable events and children's parties. This has always been one of the cases, you know, even when I was back in school, I took classes and I was studying about serial killers. John Wayne Gacy was always one of the ones that were just kind of really gave me the creeps. I don't like clowns anyway. I don't like things with masks on. But on top of that being a clown, oh, fuck that shit. Nope. They're scary. (laughs) They are. His clown persona name was Pogo the Clown. Pogo, <laughs> fuck that shit. It is kind of ironic, though, he named Pogo. He did like to use his stick. Yeah, he did. Gacy would lure all his victims back to his ranch house, sometimes under the guise of wanting to show them a magic trick in which he would dupe the young males into putting on handcuffs as part of the trick. Okay, I'm sorry, but you're never going to make me go anywhere with a clown by myself and then let him trick me into putting fucking handcuffs on. Nope, not happening. Dumb. Mm -mm. Ain't no way, court. Ain't no way. I feel like I don't even need a public service announcement for that one, court. I I feel like people should just know. (laughs) You don't need to be going places with clowns and they want to put handcuffs on you. You should run. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Don't stay and fight. Nope. Mm-mm. When you think about a circus, you're in front of everybody. That's where clowns like to perform. They like to be in front of everybody. If a clown wants to take you privately somewhere, run. No, I don't like going to circuses because of the clowns. <laughs> run. Just saying. Gacy would then rape and torture his captive before killing them by either asphyxiation or strangulation with a garrote, which it really could be anything from a scarf to yeah. a cord. Yeah, it's strangulation. It's just they use a, either a cord or, like you said, a scarf, pillowcases. They can do all that to strangle you and cut off your airway. 26 of his victims were buried in the crawl space of his home, with three others being buried elsewhere on his property, and four more were discarded in the Des Plaines River. Gacy was sentenced to death on March 13, 1980, and was executed by lethal injection on May 10, 1994. He showed no remorse for his victims in the slightest and had three final words to say, kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. Yep. That was totally John Wayne Gacy to the T. For his last meal, Gacy requested 12 fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe KFC chicken, french fries, and a pound of strawberries. Now, prior to being convicted, Gacy had managed three KFC restaurants. He He was loyal. (laughs) He was loyal. He liked that chicken. Although, out of all of them, I think this is my favorite one. This is probably, yeah, definitely would be on my menu for my last meal. Fried shrimp, fried chicken, french fries, a pound of strawberries. I I don't know. I'm not really big into the pound of strawberries, but everything else right up my alley. So far, nope. Nobody's tickled your fancy yet? Not really. On April 19, 1995, ex-Army officer and security guard Timothy James McVeigh detonated a bomb inside a truck in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people, 19 of whom were children, injuring 680 others, and destroying one-third of the federal building. Can I just say that this one ranks as high as it possibly can for somebody who deserved the death penalty for me? Yes, I would agree with that. He killed little bitty children. If you don't know, you haven't done any research on this case, he bombed a federal building, and the bottom of that federal building was a daycare center for a lot of little children whose parents worked in that federal building. Yep. So for me, this motherfucker couldn't have been killed fast enough. I would fucking agree with that. 
To this day, it remains the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history and now known as the Oklahoma City bombing. McVeigh was arrested shortly after the bombing and indicted on 160 state offenses and 11 federal offenses, including the use of a weapon of mass destruction. As a Gulf War veteran, McVeigh sought revenge against the federal government for the 1993 Waco siege, the 1992 Ruby Ridge incident, as well as American foreign policy. He hoped to inspire a revolution against the federal government and defended the bombing as a legitimate tactic against what he saw as a tyrannical government. He's fucking crazy. Nowhere in the world is it right to kill children. Sorry. Although I will say, I feel like the American government, as far as United States Army and the Veterans Association, probably fucking failed him because he obviously was oh. fucked up and needed some help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they've made strides going forward since 9-11 attacks and since we went to war with Afghanistan and Iraq. They have really come you know, full circle with helping and, and really addressing the effects that war has on our soldiers when they come home. And they continue every day to get better and better with it. And I think that's a good thing. I would agree with that. I will say, though, I still think they have a long way to go. Oh, they have a very long way to go, but I like to see the strides that they're making. Yes. In 1997, McVeigh was found guilty on all counts and sentenced to death. His execution on June 11, 2001, by lethal injection, took place a little over six years after the bombing, which was considerably a shorter amount of time than most death row inmates. So I will never forget the day he died because I was actually on my way to a college course and I was in the car driving. And I remember when they came across the radio and said that he was pronounced dead by lethal injection. Couldn't have been happier. I was so glad because at that point I had already been up to the Oklahoma City bombing. I went and viewed the beautiful memorial they made there. And man, I tell you, it just, oh, it ripped my heart out. So I was ear to ear smiling when that motherfucker got put to death. I fucking agree with that. Like, How eerie though is it that it was just two months before 9-11? I know. It's crazy, right? Timothy McVeigh did not have a main dish for his last meal, but instead opted for dessert having two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream that he reportedly ate alone in his windowless cell the night before his execution. Well, good. He should be eating it alone. Fuck yeah, and I'm glad I didn't have windows. Although, man, I really like mint chocolate chip ice cream. This fucker ruined it. <laughs> I like that how you were able to find that information. Like, for me, in my mind, it sets such a jury time for him, and I love it. Like, I hope it was fucking gray and just depressing Shitty. and cold and... Just shitty. That's what I wanted. Yep. In August of 1996, grocery store butcher Gary Carl Simmons Jr. killed his drug dealer, Jeffrey Wolf. Wolf and his girlfriend had driven from Mississippi to Simmons' home in Houston, Texas to collect a drug debt estimated between twelve dollars and $20,000, according to court records. However, at Simmons' house, Wolf and his girlfriend would not only encounter Simmons, but his former brother-in-law, Timothy Milano. The scene would turn deadly when Wolf was shot and killed by the two men with a twenty-two caliber rifle. Using knives from his work and a bolt cutter, Simmons dismembered Wolf's body in the bathtub and then scattered the body parts in an alligator-infested bayou. Beautiful. Yep. That's the way you need to do it. If you're going to do it, get rid of the evidence. Simmons would then rape Wolf's girlfriend. According to authorities, Milano was the one to shoot Wolf, but Simmons planned the killing, dismembered Wolf, and had raped the girlfriend. Both men were convicted of killing Jeffrey Wolf, and Simmons was sentenced to death in 1997, as well as being given two life terms on charges of kidnapping and rape. Milano was sentenced to life in prison for capital murder and given an additional 30 years for kidnapping. On June 20, 2012, Gary Carl Simmons Jr. was put to death by lethal injection. See ya. 
For his last meal, Gary Carl Simmons Jr. requested a 29,000-calorie meal consisting of pizza, Doritos, McDonald's french fries, a strawberry shake, and ice cream. However, he was not able to polish off this high-calorie meal. Good lord. Die of a heart attack before he ever got to the fucking lethal injection. Oh no shit. Peter J. Menuel and James Russell were convicted of the May 1986 murder and robbery of 20-year-old Paul Maynard. Peter and James reportedly met Paul's roommate in Galveston, Texas, and returned to his apartment to drink beer and smoke marijuana. When Paul's roommate fell asleep, Peter and James attacked Paul, hitting him in the head with a heavy glass beer mug, and then stabbed him 39 times in the neck and the back with knives. What the fuck was in that marijuana? No shit. <laughs> I guess I don't think it was the beer. I think it was laced with a little something. something. PCP, I don't know. LSD there, you know what I mean? Maybe some bath salt. Something going on. Peter and James then beat Paul on the head with an automobile shock absorber. After they were done with Paul, they stole his wallet, which contained $20 and a stereo system of his. That's sad. They killed him for that. And a stereo system. Fucking stupid. It was reported that the Sinister Two then cleaned up and went out for hamburgers. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they did. Of course they did. James would end up testifying against Peter. See, this is why you don't have an accomplices. There you go. James would end up testifying against Peter in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table and was instead given a 50-year prison sentence. Peter pleaded not guilty, but it only took the jury five minutes to come back with a guilty verdict and in October of 1988 was sentenced to death. Now, Peter Mignol requested one of the most enormous death row dinners in history. He requested beef enchiladas, two double cheeseburgers, a jalapeno pizza, and fried chicken. He also requested spaghetti, fruit cake, a half chocolate, half vanilla cake, cookies and cream, and caramel pecan fudge ice cream, two Cokes, two Pepsis, two root beers, and two glasses of orange juice. Damn! I know he didn't polish all that off. There There's no way. no way. Although I do like his spaghetti choice. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything else. I mean, the jalapeno pizza, double cheeseburgers, the enchiladas. Let's go. I can leave that. I don't want to die with the fucking heartburn. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he's going to have a lot of burning going on in his afterlife, but it ain't going to be from the heart. (laughs) I would agree with that. (laughs) Now, almost everyone is familiar with the notorious American serial killer rapist and necrophiliac Theodore Robert Bundy, better known as Ted Bundy, who murdered at least 20 young women and girls during the 1970s. Although some experts believe his actual victim count might be over 100, his killings usually followed a gruesome pattern. He often raped his victims before beating them to death. Yeah, Bundy was definitely a sadomasochist. He really enjoyed inflicting pain on his victims and the pure scaredness in their eyes, the fear that they had. He really got off on that. He yeah, was he a did. special creature. <laughs> I like how you said that. He's a special creature. <laughs> yeah, he is. I'm not calling him human because Bundy was not human. No, he was not. In February of 1978, Bundy was arrested and received three separate death sentences for the murders of two Chi Omega sorority members at Florida State University and that of a 12-year-old girl. Bundy's good looks, charming demeanor, and intelligence made him somewhat of a celebrity during his trial. He eventually confessed to committing 36 murders in seven states between 1974 and 1978. On January 24, 1989, he was executed by the electric chair, or what is sometimes referred to as Old Sparky. Old Sparky! Outside the prison, crowds cheered and even set off fireworks after Bundy's execution. Some brought frying pans they banged on in celebration and chanted, Burn, Bundy, burn! Burn, Bundy, burn! (laughs) 
Bundy's last words were addressed to his lawyer, Jim Coleman, and Minister Fred Lawrence, stating to them, I'd like to give my love to my family and friends. Bitch, you didn't have no friends. Give me a break. No shit. Well, he was too much of a narcissist to have friends. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly, Bundy did not have a preference for his last meal, so he was given the Florida State Prison Standards last meal, which was a traditional American breakfast consisting of a steak cooked medium rare, eggs over easy, toast with butter and jelly, milk, coffee, and juice. Was he in the fucking hospital? Good lord. No shit. (laughs) God was too nice to him. Okay, well that ends our Thanksgiving Day bonus, and I hope y'all enjoy it. I did. I'll definitely enjoy my meal this Thanksgiving. Well, as always, stay Stay strange and unusual. We'll be back next week with another cocktail and a new tale of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes they left behind. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and download us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show. Want the recipe to try Corey's Sinister Cocktail from today's episode? Or have any constructive feedback or true crime stories you would like to hear us cover? Or even Sinister Cocktail recipes for us to try? Email us at SinisterCrimesAndCocktails at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.SinisterCrimesAndCocktailsPodcast.com, Facebook page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, and our Instagram page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails. Love what you heard? And want to help support our show or donate to our Sinister Cocktail Fund? You can donate to our cash app at money sign Sinister Crimes, all one word, and we will give you a shout out on our next episode and which fund you donate to. Thank you. (laughs) 